Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now hey everybody just real quick before the show started uh this is steve and i just wanted to let you know for all the latest information on our podcast Hit us up on Twitter at E-I-L-F Movies. That's everything I learned from movies. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. If you're looking for incredible art or maybe gifts for an upcoming uh, birthday or Father's Day, Mother's Day, anything like that, Christmas, uh, you can check out Izzy's art at untidyvenus.etsy.com. You can also find us on all the uh, podcatchers like Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever they're calling it these days, Podcast Addict, uh, basically... Google us, you'll find us, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. All right, on with the show. Everything I learned from movies With a one last plot holes a gratuitous It's time to get busy with your friend Stephen Logan Clark is one of the most decorated private investigators in the world, but he also is an actor and producer. Martin Cove is a world-renowned actor who's starred in over 200 movie and television programs, but is probably most famous for playing the role of Crease in the Karate Kid series. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Clark and Mr. Cove were kind enough to join us on Everything I Learned From Movies. Hello. Hello, Mr. Clark? Yeah. Hello, uh, this is Steve with Everything I Learned From Steve. Movies. Yes, how are you doing? Steve, right? Oh yeah, just, just Steve's fine. <laughs> How you doing? I'm great. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Doing good. Just had some eye surgery. So yeah, that's what I heard. That some, yeah, that presents some problems. But, you know, we just kind of uh, push on through it. Absolutely. Well, yeah, like, it. luckily it's an audio podcast. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Excellent. And so what, do you, um, what do you uh, normally do? I mean, what types of things do you cover? Uh, basically we'll just kind of start with, uh, you know, talking about like where you grew up and stuff like that, who some of your major influences and all that are, and then, uh, you know, kind of go how you like transitioned into like acting and of course, uh, private investigating and kind of go through, you know, some of the highlights with that, you know, and and then, and then, and then, you know, uh, I guess, um, half hour in or whatever you were going to bring in, uh, Marty and yeah, bring Marty. Absolutely. I will call Marty and bring him into the perfect perfect yeah because he just finished uh he just finished the tarantino film um you know cobra Kai. there's all kinds of stuff going on and of course you know our cream um which is doing fantastic and uh, just you know we just kind of um work them work them together plus we got a film that we're uh putting together oh oh excellent excellent so, be, yeah so there's a lot yeah a lot to talk about Excellent. Well, I guess, uh, first off, uh, of course... But you keep track of the time, because I kind of lose track. You know, I just, I'm 
sort of stream of consciousness um, <laughs> interviews. Yeah, I, do, I mean, I've done so many. I've done just thousands of uh, highlights, and so I just really kind of do it with a stream of con- consciousness. And no matter what they told me, it was, after the years I've been in acting and in the detective business, uh, there's almost nothing I haven't heard. Excellent. Well, uh, I guess first and foremost, thank you for joining me. Uh, really appreciate it here on everything I learned from movies. Where did you grow up, and what was your family life like? Um, my mother was a uh, nightclub singer, jazz singer. Yeah. Um, her name was Dorothy Darnell, and she was considered a singer's singer. Um, she worked all over the world, the country. Um, I went to. 22 schools from kindergarten oh, wow. to 12th grade, 22 different schools in different states, country. I mean, just all over the place. Sometimes with tutors, sometimes with foster homes, something, you know, it just depends on what was going on. I grew up on the road. Yeah. So I guess around, I, I guess kind of around the movie business because because of her, her sister, um, half sister, Linda Darnell. And all the, the the whole movie thing that was going on then in the fifties. Um, so I kind of grew up. And my mom being a singer and stuff, you know, I definitely grew up in show business, kind of like the Annie name thing. <laughs> nice. So, who were some yeah. of your like biggest influences and stuff growing up? You know, kind of moving around. But were the, were there like celebrities or family members that you kind of idolized? Um, some of the rat act guys. My mom. <laughs> gentleman named Nick Conti, and Nick Conti was the brother of Richard Conti. <laughs> Richard Conti was in Ocean's Eleven, yeah. the original Rat Pack. Um, he's the guy who died of the heart attack running across the street in Vegas. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, during, okay. Yeah, during the heist. Good-looking guy. Um, anyway, so Nick was a, Nick Conti was a Golden Glove boxer. And his best friend was Dean Martin. So it's kind of this whole circle of, you know, so growing up, I guess, around that tremendously influenced me in a sense that um, I think the whole bogey thing, you know, bogey, um, Humphrey Bogart, Sam Spade, all of that, Treasure of the Sierra Madres, all of that influenced me tremendously. Casablanca. Maltese Falcon, yeah, all those. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that whole world. And um, uh, funny enough, you know, wound up, <laughs> that's what I wound up doing. I wound up owning a bar in Southeast Asia during the Vietnam War. Oh, wow. I had I had a real rich cafe um, called the Apartment, and yeah, it was just it was just weird. <laughs> it was just really, and then I grow up to be, you know, the private detective, which is, you know, and I do really weird cases along the lines of uh, uh, Chandler and Mickey <laughs> Flayne, <laughs> crazy stuff like that. So it's interesting. It, it's really interesting to have a, I guess you focus on things and that leads you to your path in life, so, consciously so- or unconsciously. <laughs> So, so was being like a like a private investigator like your dream job growing up, or was it more like being an actor? Or uh, it was more being an actor. I I really saw myself in show business. I saw myself doing something. I didn't know exactly what. Um, 
I, I was emceeing shows in USO, um, which my mom was also in during the Vietnam War. I and I the re, the way I got into the detective business is I was a writer. I was one of the youngest newspaper columnists there. Why? And they had a um, the Honolulu Advertiser. They had a section in the in the Honolulu Advertiser called the Young Hawaii section, and I had a column in that section called the Young Believers. And this was in the 60s, late 60s, and I wrote it. I was barely out of high school, maybe still in high school. And I was writing that, and I saw an ad, believe it or not, I saw an ad for an investigation company uh, called Universal Detectives. So I'm, you know, I don't know, I'm 18 years old, something like that. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, great, this will make me a better reporter. I like to investigate reporting. And I was, you know, good at sticking my nose where it didn't belong. <laughs> and um, so I went to the school, and it was about six months long, and I graduated the top of the class. And afterwards, I just, you know, I did it to get that under my belt, to have that as, as a, a reporter, you know, and be good at it. Say goodbye to everybody, left. About three days later, they give me a call, and the head of the school also owned a detective agency. His name was John Yost, and he owns the American Bureau of Investigation. So he called me up and he said, um, look, um, Logan, he said, did you come back into the office? He said, I'd like to talk to you about something. And I came back and now, I'm 18 years old. This is the late 60s. Mod Squad is on television. Yeah. So I walk into the office. I just finished, you know, doing this school, and there's a guy there with white hair, and he says, uh, "Hey, my and the boss, John Yost, said this is Mr. So and So. This is the president of Chrysler Motor Corporation, oh. and we want you to go undercover, and we're going to give you a phony, you know, criminal record, and we're going to work with the police department, not with police department, all this sort of stuff." And they're telling me this, and they're trying to convince me, right? And in my mind, I'm going, what? Undercover? <laughs> like, now? Um, really? Okay. And I was, I was like, okay, where do I sign up? Do I get a badge? Do I get a gun? And, they're, and this, these guys are like, no, 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 you'll never get a badge. You'll never get a gun. <laughs> You're undercover. You're going in as a lock boy. Literally as a lock boy. Um, or, and you've got to work your way up, work your way through. They said, you go in and, and um, you fill out an application just like everybody does for a lot more and they, they're in a stack and they just pick the next one the next one and when you fill one out it goes at the bottom of the stack and the president's secretary the president and his secretary are the only two people who will know who you are Ooh. that's it so you fill out the application it will go on the bottom of the stack my secretary after closing after relief will go in and pull your your resume from the bottom of the stack and place it about third from the top. And so in about a week or two, you know, they just grab the next one for a lot of boys, right? It's yeah. just it's like an assistant there, you know, taking care of stuff, cleaning up a car. What we did basically is we cleaned up, a lot boy cleans up the car after it's been bought before they come and pick it up. Oh, okay. He scrapes, you know, he gets the number off of it, you know, $4,200, $4, whatever the hell he's selling for. He gets that off the window, gets all the stickers off, cleans it all up, makes it nice and, you know, for when they arrive. But it 
Oh. And went all the way up to the accountant. Oh, geez. And I, I found out I was a, a thrill slump. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I was a junior. I don't know. I just went, whoa, this is, this is what I did. I love this. Yeah, it was like your, your first case right out of the bag, and it's like, oh, 50000 oh, a month. Was, yeah. <laughs> and it's the kind of case that every private eye that's been working for 20 years would get his IT for, you know, to get a hold of a case like that. And, and it just, I wasn't even a private eye. You know, and at that time, you could, in, in Hawaii, you could work for a private eye and not be an employee. There's different laws for different states. Yeah. Anyway, that was my... That was my entrance, and I continued to work for the American Bureau of Investigation for a while. And it became a career that I could always fall back on. I could I could do a case or, or stop it. You know, some cases were needed done right away, some were longer. And I could go off and do an acting role, you know, do acting for a while, which I did. I did Hill Street Blues, I co starred in Hill Street Blues, Hawaii 5 yeah, Simon and Simon, uh, yeah. uh, Remington yeah, Steel. Tons of shows. Yeah, tons of shows. And in the Philippines, I was in the Philippines for 10 years. I did probably, I don't know, 15, 20 movies. And I did movies out here. So I you know, I would bounce back and forth between the two careers. Yeah, and, and the detective got bigger. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and the bar that you owned, was that uh, during those days too, like when you were in the Philippines? Well, yeah. That was the early 70s, 1971, 72, 72, all the way up to 78, I think. Oh, okay. In Southeast Asia, in Hong Kong, in the Philippines, um, in Saigon, kind of in, in and around everywhere. Excellent. Yeah, it sounds like an, an adventurous life, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and that was the real, you know, that was like the real rich cafe. It was fun. It was, um, it was crazy. We were young. We were 23, 24 years old. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> what a way to wake up about the world, man. I arrived yeah. in Hong Kong and I'm like, man, this is a different world. This is a country. They, it smells different. They eat different. They walk different. They talk different. I was, you know, man, I was like a kid in a candy store. Yeah, wow. You know, just the, the whole life over there, to me, it was fascinating that there was something so different you know, in the world. Yeah, and then of course yeah. uh, with the the private eye agency uh, working with them, you, you've been involved uh, obviously over uh, forty years now, and uh, over eight thousand cases. I, I believe I read that on your your bio page. Oh God, probably ten or twelve thousand now. <laughs> I've updated. They, maybe they haven't updated that. Yeah, obviously they haven't updated that in a while. Yeah, probably ten or twelve thousand uh, now. All kinds of cases, everything you can imagine. Yeah, so and that's with a team now. That's you know that's with a team of agents. And sometimes yeah. I would have six to eight agents working for me all the time. But anyway, Excellent. but yeah, like uh, hundreds of like kidnap and runaway uh, victims have been yep. found. Um, you've like infiltrated motorcycle gangs and organized crime, yeah. Fortune five hundred companies, and you yeah. you even got hired to kill your own client. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. My client, they were uh, putting a hit out on my client. My client was associated with show business people, and I can't really go into who it was. But it was the bodyguard of a very famous um, actor, producer. And he brought me into it. Anyway, it was in another state, and it was the 
married to another guy, and he had reason, very good reason to believe that that other guy had put a hit out on him, on the, my client, the father of yeah. the five-year-old girl, who's now married to the mother. And the reason being because it's, it's the only child. If something happens to the father, the child inherits the money immediately, and with only five years old, it puts him and his new wife responsible for the money. Yeah. So it makes them rich immediately. So I... I said, give me a day or so and let me figure out. They brought me to a lunch and said, you know, what can you do? How can you help us? We know this is going to happen. We know someone that was actually tried, they tried to hire. So I came back and I said, well, I said, I know how to do it, but it's going to cost a lot of money. And I'll go there and I'll get them to hire me to kill you. And he looked at me. And this guy didn't know me, but I mean, yeah. he me, but he didn't know me very well, man. He looked at me and he went, okay, now how far are we going to take this to me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, that's a lot of trust to put into somebody. It's like, all right, now after I shoot you the second yeah. time, that's when we got him. <laughs> yeah, it really freaks people out, you know. So it's, it, it just, it's wild. And um, Marty and I, Got, uh, got we're doing a film. we're getting ready to do a film about one of the cases oh. that um, that I did one of the my first real big case is uh, Thirteen Angels it's called Thirteen and Angels and okay. it was yeah it's about these Thirteen Harley Davidsons and stealing these these motorcycles from a very nefarious motorcycle gang and it is why it's a tremendous story there's a whole backstory to it about my brother and I and my mom and it's just tremendous we have the writer of The Fighter the Oscar nominated writers of The Fighter with Mark Wahlberg yeah yeah we have yeah we have Erica Steinberg who produced Inglorious Bastards she produced Kill Bill 1 Kill Bill 2 um bunch of Tarantino stuff and she's doing a lot of things with Ben Spiller right now. She is one of our producers. Uh, our director named uh, John Pogue is a wonderful director. He just sent some movies for Lionsgate and he directed U.S. Marshals. Remember U.S. Marshals? Yeah, yeah, with uh, Tommy yeah, Jones with Tommy, and Wesley Tommy Snipes. Jones. Yeah. Tommy Jones and, uh, yeah. But it's come along, it's just come along real good. Marty knows the writers and just he's a he's a wonderful friend of mine and, and becoming a great friend of the writers and um then we found out about how much pain he was going through and stuff so we got into that <laughs> yeah well i got hired i actually got hired by a bunch of foreigners back in 2010 to investigate the cbd market and find out if this was all true it's when charlotte's web was coming out and um they were talking about that, that type of a thing. Charles Webb was out yet, but they were talking about uh, shakes and tremors of little children. Anyway, we investigated it for these people. They wanted to know if it was real or not. Yeah. And in doing so, I found out it was very real. Um, and uh, Sanjay Gupta did the same exact thing. He started out in a documentary. He was going to prove it was fake. He was totally against the CBD and any kind of cannabis, you know, being used for any medicinal purposes, he was going to prove it was fake. It's a fact. This is not something that's hidden, you know, publicly. This is 
completely flipped and realized how good it is. He's now done four of them about the health benefits and the medical benefits and stuff. So we just found it to be incredible. And Marty, well, bring on, Marty has a wonderful, not wonderful, not a guy that's terrible to say, he has a horrible problem with his arm. Ooh. And I'll let him tell you about it, but a uh, terrible problem. And we wanted to try to help him. Yeah, and so this uh, CBD, um, it's the, the one you guys are doing together is called Marty's Cobra Cove. Um, of course, yeah. find it online. And it's a preparatory blend of CBD, herbs, and amino acids, but yeah, primarily for pain, pain therapy. Is that correct? Yes, and it comes from, and there's also a pharmaceutical base to it, an actual, which is actually FDA approved. It's a pain base. Um, and then the eucalyptus and the CBD and everything else is all around it, all the, the you know, the great oils and stuff like that. And we worked with um, 100% chiropractic, a huge uh, chiropractic firm all across the country. And we worked with the deep tissue massage therapists, the doctors, and for about almost two years, um, well over a year and a half, and, and spent time working with them, getting reaction from the patients, actually from the and from the deep tissue massage therapist to make sure that the CBD is really greasy and oily, and yeah. we had to make this so it was absorbed and it didn't get on your steering wheel and your clothes, because deep tissue massage people use it all the time. You know, when there's a, a, a not for a, a whole massage, but they use spots and athletes and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, we worked closely with doctors and, and scientists, and, and Marty came to us, and, and just he's wonderful. He's, he's just one of the greatest guys. Cobra Kai. <laughs> yeah. So ours is Cobra Co. Marty's Cobra Co. His name is Marty Co. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> and, and, and it's helping a lot of people, really helping a lot of people. So we're, we're excited about it. We've got a they're great web, martyscoberco.com. It's a really cool website. And um, we supply these, we white label to these chiropractic offices all across the country and make this formula, you know, for them. And their patients just absolutely love it. But I, I like help. I like doing something that really gets rid of pain for people and it's not a drug. Yeah, I have a lot of like like family that have like the the pain issues and like the uh, arth- everything from like arthritis to yeah, all kinds of stuff. But yeah. it's like I may have to start getting yeah. some uh, Christmas the presents. <laughs> yeah, it's a chair. This opioid thing though is terrible. Yeah, that's the, the scary thing. Going, you know? Yeah, it just it's gotten really really sad. I mean, people are doing right and left on this stuff. I was gonna say, yeah, it's good, good to have something that's like more, you know, all natural, or at least you know, not yeah. not habit forming, and uh, yeah, just yeah. but still still relieves pain, which you know is kind yeah. of the basis of it. Yeah, you can grab it and just kind of put it in your hands like you do a hand lotion, you know, and you and you don't get this oily, greasy substance all over the place, you know. It, yeah. it goes in like a hand lotion, which is nice, you know. And uh, Marty's got some real serious, some real serious issues, which you know. They'll tell you about his life. Sure, sure, pop back. I think they always they keep working. But man, this Cobra Kai series is really something, man. Yeah, I actually uh, just just watched the first two episodes again right before uh, calling you here, and I was. Yeah, oh, I, I I had seen it like when it first came out, and, and I was like, I, yeah. I have to revisit it again, and it's it's really good. Like 
I'll admit, when I first saw the trailer, I was kind of like, eh, whatever, you know, it's a Karate Kid reboot. Right. But, but it's like a really like gripping story, and like pull, it pulls you in yeah. good. <laughs> they did good with the kids, and I mean, you know, Ralph Macho having kids, getting the original cast, it's fantastic, man. Yeah. It really is. And they're, I, I watched it on a week, and I loved it. They're really good. Let's just bring Marty in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring, bring him Marty in. Bring him in for a call here. Hang on one second, okay? Yeah, absolutely. There we go. Hello? Are we there? Yep. Are right. you there? I'm here, yeah. All right. Here's Stephen Pondrick is here with us. He's the, the podcast guy. Steve, this is Marty Cove. Hi, Mr. Cove. How are you doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. Thank you for joining us. You know, th- thank you for being up early and <laughs> taking a few minutes to talk with us. Yeah, I guess uh, first and foremost, we were just talking about uh, Marty's Cobra Cove, the the blend of CBD, urban amino acids for pain relief. Um, if you just want to talk about that, we could definitely start off with that. Well, your problem—you should probably tell them about oh. the problem you had with the motorboat. <laughs> well, you know, years ago, years ago, I was. Um, I had finished a, a TV series and uh, went on a, a bit of a vacation. And um, I was uh, scuba diving in the Florida Keys. It was an accident where the propeller was turned on and I was under the boat in very shallow water. Oh. And we were diving with hoses. And um, I had sliced my um, forearm and uh, the ulna was affected and and it was, it was rough. So um, I had tried everything to try and, yeah, as time progressed, you know, the, the, the muscle became you know, somewhat atrophied. And, you know, there was pain in the arm and, and basically the shoulder started hurting and ultimately had a shoulder replacement. And then had a, another shoulder replacement on the other side. And this is on top of all your stunts and your martial arts and everything else. Yeah. Kicking your body. Kicking your body to death. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so what it was, you know, I've always been very active and I've always played a lot of, you know, I was a goalie in soccer in high school and college and, and played a lot of tennis and, you know, did whatever stunts I could do when I started the business. And I um, just, you know, fell a lot on the shoulder and abused my shoulders because I played a lot of baseball as well. And so I was looking for something that could help me, you know, because, you know, things, the standard salves and all that never really did anything. So for years, I was, you know, I was looking for a product that would, that would help the pain and, you know, I wasn't trying to use any AMA products because, the you know not the anti-inflammatories would upset my stomach, and uh, I found that, that they rarely worked anyway. And I found that uh, you know I, I met Logan and we talked about this, this product, and uh, you know it, it really it doesn't erase the fact that there's parts of my body that are bone on bone, so it's too difficult to sort of. I guess prevent any further further discomfort in those areas because they're already bone on bone and and yeah. the pain cream can only be so much. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so so it, there's a certain amount of relief that it has given me, and it's it's, it's preferable. It's you know I've recommended it to certain 
because we walk on our feet so much and use our hands so much. The muscles really never, they, they, they don't come back the way they were prior to the injury. And I find that, you know, CBD product allows it to somewhat feel like it used to feel. The muscles, I'm not sure exactly how it does it, but the muscles are around any wound or any traumatic area. They're, they're, they seem to be mended. They seem to be less, I would say, less painful, you know, to the touch, even after something is healed. You know, we always have a muscle injury around the wound. It never really heals the way it's supposed to, as it did prior to some injury. And yeah. uh, I think this product really just allows the tissue around whatever kind of wound you have to heal better and to ultimately, you don't feel the pain of the injured area. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's what I mean, great. Yeah, see, my, uh, my my dad was a cop for a long time, so he had a lot of, like, injuries, like, from, like, motorcycle accidents and, of course, you know, the fisticuffs that come with being a cop. Uh, it sounds like this would would have been great for him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. yeah there's, there's a lot of, lot of things that go on in the daily, you know, in your daily lifestyle, and there don't have to be traumatic injuries, like I had with a shoulder replacement and knee in, in my hand. But there are injuries that happen like that, you know, like your father would experience. And, yeah. You know, they, they, they never really feel the same afterwards. If, you know, even when you bang your hand or, you, you know, you got caught in a door or whatever. Yeah. Even after it heals and you do all the proper things, there's always that, it's always sensitive. It's always very sensitive around that wound. And it hurts. That hurts as much as the wound sometimes because the tissue is damaged and never replaced. You know, the CBD helps eliminate the kind of pain and you don't feel like you have another injury there because the residual injury that happens after your hand heals or your muscle heals from the major injury, that residual injury is, is coped with by the product. And it's really, you know, it really works. I was going on Amazon. We should be on Amazon uh, oh. in a week or so. Hopefully a week, 10 days. We oh, excellent. Amazon. We got our website, Marty's Yeah, com. Um, yeah, coming to Amazon soon. Yeah, guys, definitely check it out, especially for pain relief and, you know, o- o- opioids are a, a, a slippery slope, from what I understand. So <laughs> this is definitely a safer alternative, it sounds like. Uh, Mr. Cove, is, yeah, again. You should talk to Marty about yeah, what's going on in his life. Yeah, it uh, sounds like you uh, have been pretty busy. Um, I mean, of course, with uh, Cobra Kai, but uh, also this Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I've been hearing about. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a terrific, terrific working with Quentin Tarantino. It gets so much fun. And it's a story of pretty much sort of the 60s and the westerns in the 60s and the trials and tribulations of actors in a period of time, and it's kind of a terrific cast. You know, it's got Al uh, Pacino and Margot Robbie and my scenes with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and, and Brad Pitt's in the movie. And um, it's really, you know, it's terrific. And, and working with him, he's such a, he's such a marvelous encyclopedia of cinema. So, you know, he, he knows so much and he pays homage to many scenes 
he'll, he'll set up a certain scene physically, you know, and you remember this was a great moment in some other movies, some film noir, and uh, he's really, uh, he's always paying homage to classics, and it's great, yeah. it's just great working with him, and everybody loves him on the set, and I really, you know, I've been trying to work with him for years, so yeah. it's a real, it, it was just a, a luxury to be able to be on a set with such a exciting director who just loves to make pictures, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really excited for it because you know the the noir genre is definitely one of my favorites, and of course it's like possibly the greatest cast ever. Where even the, the great Marty Cove is like thirtieth on the list as far as you know Pacino, DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, like everybody. Uh, and so yeah, and of course Tarantino, everything he does is great and uh, uh, just great homages. Uh, I'm I'm really excited to see in it. Yeah, I mean this is a really homage as you pay is an homage to my darling Clementine, which is uh, uh, John Ford Weston and Bob White Up and with Henry Fonda. And the scene I do, my aunt, my aunt played Clementine. That's yeah, right, Michael Darnell, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was a terrific picture. And, you know, as soon as I'm sitting on the, on the um, sidewalk, or the wooden sidewalk of the town at Melody Ranch, you know, and when you put your feet up on the post, you then realize that it's a famous scene where Henry Fonda is leaning against the post with his feet and leaning back on the chair. And you just know, you know, as a film, as a film person, so I turned to him and I said, you know, is this homage to that? And he says, you know, absolutely. And there was the same body language as Henry Fonda. And, you know, as a student of the Western, you know, you just, know some of these things and it's just a pleasure to work with a director who knows all of that you know and yeah. you can talk about the good the bad and the ugly and the wild bunch and you can talk about the searchers and red river and all these great great pictures you know and uh they just they just don't make enough of those anymore they don't make enough westerns no, so no. It, it's always wonderful to work with a man like as articulate as he is and uh, have him basically even though it's a contemporary movie, it personifies a lot of the Western situations back in the 60s when a lot of actors were going, you know, to Italy to do movies, and there were 35 Westerns on, 35 Westerns on, you know, network primetime in the 60s. Yeah. So it was really, it was exciting. Very, very exciting. Very nice. Uh, I'm even more excited now that I know there's Western elements in it, too. <laughs> Excellent. Well, then, of course, uh, most people probably know you as Crease from the Karate Kid movie series, and there's the the new YouTube series uh, Cobra Kai that's out. Uh, how, how was it like working with that again? You know, uh, you know, thirty years after the originals. Well, you know, Ralph Macho and Billy Zapp and I, you know, we were made friends over the years, and and three writers, um, you know, John Hurwitz and and Hayden Schwartzberg and Josh Hill, they just wrote brilliance and they lived all the Karate Kid characters, the three of us, and they knew everything that he wanted to do and they mapped it all out back in, when we were at dinner, uh, lunch actually last September, a year ago when they said to me we want you to come in in episode 10 and set up the second season and I wanted to come in in episode 5 and 6 and they said, <laughs> you know, we really, we really once you come in 10 and you know, you'll be a big hook into the season and you know they knew the 
characters so well and they knew what they wanted to do so we kind of we all find not and then we broke every record imaginable you know yeah. millions and millions of viewers in the first couple of weeks and it was the most watched television show on the air and we got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and on KCAL that we got picked up for the second season and it's just great I mean they just do their homework and it, it, for me it's all in the writing it's always been in the writing yeah, no, yeah. A, I mean, classics like Casablanca and all that didn't matter the chemistry of the actors. If you didn't have it in the writing and it was the passion of, of, of the written word, you know, yeah. true grit, pawn. It's not on the page that you just doesn't come across. No. So, no matter what it is. That was the luxury of working with them and being exactly what they wanted to do they're writing now and we start shooting again in Atlanta in uh, late September. Excellent. Excellent. I was glad to hear that. <laughs> um, and also a fairly recent one that I, that I just found out in uh, looking up for this interview, bring me the head of Lance Henriksen working with uh, Lance Henriksen, of course, and Tim Thomerson and uh, John Saxon and a, a great actor like Adrian Barbeau. Um, what, what was it like working on that film? Well, that was, you know, a lot of improvisation. And uh, it, was, it was really interesting because, you know, Lance and I had done, I mean, we, we went to New York one year, I remember, and they shot this block shooting. And it was all about Jared Groove, and it was a gangster movie. And um, he played Pretty Boy Floyd, I think. And we shot it in Central Park, so it was really fun. And we, we had, you know, we had these, old cars riding through Central Park, but not on the grounds, literally riding through the, the sheep meadow. And it was a big, you know, shootout scene and all. And Lance and I, you know, been in a couple of different movies together at different times. And this was an improvisational film. So it was it was a lot of fun, but with no script. It was just an experience of you telling people how it was working with Lance Hendrickson. <laughs> so it was, it was like it's quite interesting. I, mean, I, I think it's an experimental movie, and I don't think about it very much, but because I, I never saw it, you know, it would have been nice to see one time. I don't know. When yeah. did you do it? When did you do it? So, I think the, the woman, when I went up on, on um, and then everybody on uh, Highfields and McCoy's, yeah, Fern Champion, who was the casting woman at the time, she said, I want you to do this coming back to the office in two hours and we're, we're doing this movie and I think she was friends with the producer. Everything was done pretty much in the casting office. Yeah. So it was like, it was like something out of, uh, um, something out of Saturday Night Live where you were just, you were just playing with the concept and, uh, and having a fun time because it was pure experimental, it was pure improvisational. Yeah, see, you can find like a few of the clips on YouTube and stuff, and yeah, it, it's like hilarious. I, <laughs> I'm like waiting for the for for like the full movie to come out, but I haven't been able to find it anywhere, unfortunately. No, I don't think I don't think you'll find it. Full yeah. movie. I don't know if the full movie is a full movie. You know? But it, it was it was fun. It was enjoyable. For, you know, some of the, I forgot who came there, but we all had fun. You know, doing uh, a couple of hours there, improvising about laughs, which is a guess. 
And Mr. Cove, um, I guess we probably should have started with this, but uh, would you mind like letting us know like uh, where you grew up and what your family life was like and uh, kind of how you got into acting and, and martial arts? Well, uh, in, you know, I grew up in, in Brooklyn, New York, and was raised in Queens and just always wanted to be an actor from the fourth grade on. And I wanted to literally have a profession. I wanted to know if there was a profession called time traveling because I, I love to travel in time and I was a true fantasist and my father, he was in the hardware business and, and my mother was a bookkeeper and I was the only child. And I, I just was always a fantasist. I was always involved in, in, in the fantasy world and I loved, knew from the fourth grade on that I wanted to be an actor. And um, I spent a lot of time in New York working in Lincoln Center and a lot of uh, explorative theater and, you know, it was fascinating working in New York and doing a lot of ensemble work. And then when, I think, you know, in the 70s, I just came out here and uh, wanted to do some, you know, some feature work and working at the time some action pictures. And, you know, I, I always played a heavy. And uh, eventually I got my own series within a couple of years called Code R, was interesting. It was a lifeguard and a fireman and a policeman who maintained Catalina Island. And we did that. And then I think I walked into Cagney and Lacey back in 82, and we did that for six years. And, and then Hard Time on Planet Earth. And, you know, the, the martial arts world didn't come into my life until we were, we were actually practicing um, and working with Tak Kubota, which is she on Tak Kubota. Oh, I just, I just left her just a yeah, he's very good. He teaches the, um, you know, the academy. He teaches a lot of the uh, uh, police academy. And um, yeah, he, he's really terrific, terrific character. And uh, we were training for a book called The Lion of Ireland, which was a book by Morgan Llewellyn. And it was all about the conquest of the Vikings by... Brian Baru, who was the first king of Ireland. Mm. He unified the tribes of Ireland to fight against the Vikings because they were, they were raiding annually and, and plundering. So um, we, I was playing the um, Viking adversary, Brogier, and we learned to you do a, a lot of, we, had, we all had a basic foundation of, of karate, but we utilized the kendo with these plywood axes and we'd be you know, rehearsing with the plywood axes and they were four feet high, five feet high. And the character, my character was a great axeman. So we employed a lot of the kendo style that was very prominent at the time when Oz was doing Conan and all. You know, working with, you know, some of the some of the characters worked with the tough and on. I worked with an axe and, and we employed a lot of those moves. And then unfortunately the laws changed in England and uh, the tax laws changed and we couldn't shoot the movie. Oh. And within a month, I got a call for the Karate Kid film. And, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of action in the piece. It was all attitude, and which was all uh, I contribute to Pat um, Johnson, who was the study coordinator. And he wrote, he, he worked with um, Chuck Norris in the 60s and 70s as his tournament partner. And he was just terrific. Mm. And he trained us all separately. He trained Miyagi separately with Ralph. 
and then he trained the Cobra Kai separately from me, and then he trained me alone. And it was really, really interesting working with him. And I, I sort of used his ki and his uh, his mannerisms and some of his stances that he stood in, you know, crossing his arms in a certain way. And I just, you know, his character was very appropriate um, to John Kreese. And uh, it's kind of interesting the backstories back and rehearsals that you do and research that you, that you do for some characters when there's time is often more interesting than the event of acting. You know, research and, and development of yeah. characters fascinating. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I came into the ease. That's cool. Um, also, I just wanted to mention one of my uh, favorite movies I've seen you in was one uh, my dad had growing up. Uh, it was uh, The White Buffalo with Charles Bronson, where he played, uh, I believe it was Jack McCall, was the guy's name? On yeah. It? Yeah. Uh, how was it uh, working with Charles Bronson on, on that movie? Well, he was terrific. You know, he was really. He was terrific, and um, you know, it's a scene where Jack and Paul. Wasn't he a nice guy? Oh, he was great. I enjoyed him so much. He's one of the that back in the day, we were just talking about this the other day with uh, an old Italian Western movie star named Robert Woods. And, you know, Paul, oh, he, he knew Charlie back in the early 60s. He would tell us the story of how Clint Eastwood got literally, you know, loved. It appeared that he loved Sergio Leone and he didn't. And then things changed and he was on the contract for three movies. And then so Robert Woods literally did the second movie that Chris was supposed to do. Because Clint was on the three-picture three deal, but after $64, he didn't really like the situation. And then we were paying him minimal money. So we were talking about how they went to Charles Bronson and tried to, you know, have Charles do The Man With No Name. And of course, they offered very little money. But Charlie on White Buffalo was a guest. I brought him eight by tens from the Magnificent Seven and when hell broke, <laughs> and when hell broke loose. And I didn't ask for autographs. I just wanted to show him that and I collected pictures of him because I liked his work. And he and I really hit it off well. Years later, and that was 76, years later, I made a black tie affair and, you know, I'm, I'm a little more established than them. And I walked up to Charlie and I said, Charlie, I said, do you remember, remember me from White Buffalo? And he says, yeah. He said, you're still doing that series with them girls. <laughs> and I said, I said, Charlie, you watch Cagney and Lacey. And he said, it's my favorite show. And I said, oh, uh, I couldn't believe it. It is a show with no action. Strictly current events about two girls, two detectives. Hey. And I never really could do action anyway. It was always, I was always doing it, or they did it and talked about it at the beginning of the show. <laughs> you know? And it was his favorite show, you know? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. He was, he was a good guy. He was really a good guy. Yeah. He's just one of those loners that, you know, you couldn't, if he came up too strong, he didn't like it. He was always. You know, every time I bumped into him in Malibu or whatever, he was always very receptive. You know, very receptive. And, and you know, he did some good movies. You know, Rider in the Rain, some really good pictures. Aside from, you know, we all remember him, Death Wish and Great Escape, and oh yeah, yeah. Magnificent Seven. But he did a lot of other some interesting pictures in Europe. You know, 
in the seventies, um, when I was in Southeast Asia um, making movies, I read a book, and the photographer in Hong Kong that I worked with um, was Charlie. Had Charlie was big in the seventies. I was, I was living in Southeast Asia. I wasn't in the United States, but I imagine he was pretty big in the seventies. And Charlie went over. In those days, you didn't do commercials, or you know, for for stuff. You 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 just didn't do it. You did them in Japan. You did them in other places, you know, in other countries with a guarantee that it would never show in the United States. And Pierce did them. You know, I knew they did. He had done a couple. And, but anyway, back in the 70s, Charlie was doing commercials for a men's cologne in Japan. And they were paying him a fortune. And the photographer, it was a still photographer, and the commercial was Charlie throwing cards into a hat. <laughs> Like, a, you know, a, a poker guy was really cool. He was uh, tossing these playing cards. Yeah. And they're flying through the air, and he's tossing them into this hat. And it became Charlie's favorite photograph. And so he had the photographer destroy the negative and give him a copy of the negative so that he could take home and, and not give anybody else the picture. While the photographer made a second negative, and he made me... A copy of the picture because I love Charlie Rosman. Oh, nice. He made a copy of it, and I have it laminated on a piece of wood uh, in my uh, guest room. Oh. Uh, Charlie's favorite shot. I always wanted to one day meet him and show it to him. <laughs> <laughs> so, Give him a nice little scare. In the seventies, they all they all went to Japan for commercials and other countries. They wouldn't do them in the United States. Yeah, Paul never did a I'll do an couple of commercials, cigarette commercial, and yeah, and uh, they pay a couple of million dollars for these things. Yeah, do that. Oh wow, that's that was, you know, not a bad way to do it. <laughs> And also, uh, when I was going through your uh, IMDb, I mean, uh, Mr. Cove, you've been in over like, 200 movies and television series, but I only found one where it looked like you were the lead, which was uh, Steel oh. Justice in 1987. Uh, I, I, I obviously haven't seen it because I just heard of it, but, but what was it like being the lead in a major movie? Well, it was you know, written for me, and it was done. Um, we tried to make it sort of, uh, at that time, it was a poor man's Rambo, you know? Yeah. I finished Rambo and I wanted to I wanted to do something where you know it was a romantic character and yet it was you know it was some people at Atlantic releasing did it and choreographed it where I wanted to, to, I, I mean I really wanted to be like Razor or Stark I mean it was, it was <laughs> such a you know but it was you know budget constraints and it turned out to be a good little action picture it was a really cult movie and a lot of people liked it um, so, you know, it was fun, and I took off Cagney and Lacey to do it, and, you know, it, it, it wasn't as good as I would have liked, because I kept trying to, um, to make it, I guess, you know, it, it was 80s genre action movies, you look back at them now when you did them, and you just realize that, you know, I was doing something so classy, like Cagney and Lacey, and yet it still wasn't enough. And back in those days, you have a certain opinion of your of what's really important. And I remember always wanting to do action, and back then, and, and action, 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 and that was what was important to me. Even while I was doing the series, I would always be known as the, the action character, and you know, and I was part of Rambo, which 
which was the first one man against the world movie. Yeah. And um, after that came Commando, and, and it became a very big genre, one man against the world. They were missing in action movies and all. Yeah. But it's interesting, I mean, I think back along, you know, it, it, it isn't a bad movie. My kids love it. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, The Searchers, it wasn't Red River, it wasn't the kind of movies now that I revere. And, yeah. But, it, you know, for me, it was very exciting. And, and you know, starting my first picture, and I went to Cannes with it, and we had, you know, it was really, at that point in my career, the focus was different, you know. And that must have been a hell of a feeling. That must have been a hell of a feeling. Yeah, yeah, Cannes. Yeah, I mean, you know, they flew us, I mean, I'll never forget that because there was a high school reunion that weekend and he needed me in Cannes. So he flew me in a Concorde from this, my, my wife and I flew in the Concorde from New York to Paris. Am I going to Nice? And um, because I had to do the high school reunion that weekend and he needed me here there on a Monday so the high school reunion was Saturday night, and then it was, uh, we flew out the next, we didn't sleep, we all went to a diner with the high, your high school friends, and Saturday night turned into Sunday morning, and at five o'clock we caught the Concord to Europe, <laughs> and um, the rest was, you know, two, three days there, it was Atlantic releasing, and we had a great time. I had been to Ken many times, you know, for different projects, but this was, you know, when you're starring him, so it was kind of fun. And, um, you know, there was a lot of others, but back in those days, you know, you'd read a script and you'd like the character and you'd often make the mistake of engaging and saying to yourself, well, the script is okay. I could make it better by my performance. You know, you'd be arrogant enough to say that. And then ultimately, you, you did make the movie any better, even if you had a brilliant performance. Even if you were doing Anthony Hopkins and Hannibal Lecter, you just, <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you, you just couldn't write a fair, a fair script is a fair script. A good script is a good script. You could make, you could really make a, a good script into a fair movie and you maybe could make a fair script into a good movie, but you'll never make a good script into a great film. It just doesn't happen. You know, it doesn't happen. Even no matter how arrogant you are, thank you, thinking you could fix it with your performance. Excellent. Yeah, really interesting. Really, can you guys hold on one second? Uh, yeah, certainly. One, just one second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no problem at all. Yeah, I was actually uh, going to ask you a little later about the the movies you produced in like 2015 and stuff too, like uh, Checkmate and uh, uh, the the SWAT one, uh, SWAT Unit 887 and stuff like that. So <laughs> yeah, we did um, uh, Checkmate and 24 Hours. Yeah. Uh, I am back. Sorry, what was that guy's name? Uh, Marty that I did the movie. I produced the movies with.
I see. <laughs> Nothing was going to change him. Nothing was going to change him. He was going to make the kind of movies he made. You know, and I gave it a shot the second time. And, you know, um, I had fun making them, you know, from the guy. It was strictly a money thing where my guy made money. And I turned him out of the investment and allowed me to produce the film and, you know, get the credit. So, and now I'm on to, you know, much, much better films. Very nice. I also understand that uh, Pierce Brosnan's working on developing a TV series loosely based on your life. Is that is that correct? Pierce, yeah. Pierce and I worked for four years together. Three years, four years um, together with Jerry Seelig, and we developed a television show. John Ryan, uh, the guy who created uh, the Unit and the Shield, George oh, okay. Wayne guy. He couldn't come up with the right script. We worked with Frank Military, the head writer from NCIF Los Angeles, an executive producer, and he couldn't come up with a script that would that you know would work. We had a deal with Sony. We had Pierce Brosnan committed to the show, and then we had um, the first guy who created ER. Um, can't remember his name right now. He wrote the first script. They tried for almost four years to get a series about me, and they could never pull it off. And then finally, these two writers, these two Oscar writers, Phil Paul and Chuck Paltrowski and Eric Johnson, and they wrote The Fighter and many other films. They heard the pitch about the movie years and years earlier when they were just assistants at, I think, Warner Brothers. And they heard me, and they never forgot it, and uh, contacted me when they were somebody, and said, we want to do that, that movie. Um, you know, we never forgot about it. Excellent. Okay, and that's anyway, the uh, 13 years, Angels. Yeah, 30 okay. years later, uh, ups and downs, they're literally. I was talking to them about doing it, and 30 years of development, of trying to get back to it, going back and forth. We finally got the script done got a producer, got 42, you know, 42 is producing, um, and like I said, Erica Steinberg just joined, now we've really got a movie happening, for real. Excellent. And it's, yeah, it's very, very exciting to have it done after, to see all that year, you know, all those years it took, God, movies take a long time, which Marty will tell you. Yeah, yeah. Well, the movie's life is so interesting. And fascinating that, you know, but the movie business has no mercy on things that are really interesting and fascinating. Because it's all based on numbers. Yeah. It's all based on, um, you know, indulgence. It's all based well, the on good news, the, the good news is, is our, our backers are Netflix. Oh. Netflix. Oh, very nice. And they will give us, and uh, for a feature film, we're going the first uh, one or two is going to be a feature film. Netflix wants that. And then it'll be a series for Netflix, and um, they, you know, they seem to be giving a lot of creative latitude. So I mean, that not that it's going to be a whole world of difference, Marty, but at least it will be certainly different than the network or or the typical movie business. Yeah, I mean, they would treat it, you know. 
And in our, uh, our our correspondence back and forth, <laughs> you you had mentioned that uh, the Rockford Files was your favorite. Uh, basically, with TV and movies, sometimes uh, private investigators are uh, less realistic yeah. than usual. But uh, the Rockford Files was your favorite. Are there other ones yeah. that are good? We're asked all the we're asked all the time. And Manic, I knew Manic personally. Um, and uh, he was a friend. He had played something like Arrowhead, and I assume Hawaii, and um, he was a great guy. Uh, but Rockford was the real. I was jealous when I heard that he did that, Marty. I was really. I wanted to meet him and and, be, and get to know him so bad. Um, but he was the realistic private eye from a private eye's point of view. He was the closest thing to real. You got hit in the face. You got, yeah, I mean, he just had shit going. He lived in a trailer. It wasn't this big, fancy uh, Magnum P.I. world. Yeah. You know, it was knocked down, drag out. But, man, I heard that you, and then I heard he was a real jerk from some people. Really? You worked with him. Oh, uh, James Garner? Yeah. Oh, no, he was really, he, 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 I mean, I, I watched him do some really considerate things. He, he would tie up two elevators in a scene. The AP wanted to tie up these two elevators so you have someone coming down and someone going up during, at the same moment. And I'll never forget how James Garner would not let them tie up both elevators so that the employees in the tower at Universal could continue to function. And, uh, and it was lunch hour, so these people were all coming down. And he didn't want to tie up both elevators because these two uh, walked down the steps. And I was so touched by that. You know, I was in, I was in Hollywood all of two years or three years. And, and he was James Garner, who I loved in Maverick and Americanization of Emily and all these things. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he was just as considerate as ever. And then ultimately, I became a Raider fan. And then we went to a lot of, you know, his doctor was my doctor and invited us all later games on the field so we go on the field together and he, he was terrific oh, I mean that, that, he, he, he was just personified the private eye on screen man he really did yeah I mean he, he, you know maybe I should have should have played you though they should have been James Garner yeah you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean I mean really he's like the notebook and you know Oh, yeah. I mean, he did, you know, he was brilliant in Great Escape, and, you know. He was just, he was a consummate actor, and I really, yeah, he really was. I'd have loved him to play me, yeah. Yeah, I loved him. <laughs> it would have been great. Excellent. And, and Mr. Kova, is there, like, a, a favorite project that you've been a part of that you'd like to elaborate on? Well, I mean, the, you know, the, the historical things and westerns, you know, my favorite and well-written are my favorite. They, they always are. I mean, I love it wider. I yeah. cried when I left the set of wider. I just loved it. Yeah, you belong there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, working with Kaufner and Kasdan, and, yeah. you know, I, I just saw his son was now, you know, directed the, that new Jumanji movie, and yeah. he's very well, and now planning a sequel, and just chatted with him at the Saturn Awards. I gave an award at the uh, evening of the Saturn Awards. And he got one. And um, it's just, you know, the, I want to bring the Western back. I'd like to go on. And that's why you had the two six guns that you had, that you gave, that you gave so generously. 
1983 in that movie called The Great Train Robbery, which was shot in New York, in New Jersey, actually. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this was just the beginning of the American cinematic heritage. And then from 1920 to 1967, one of every three, one of the, every three movies to come out of Hollywood was a Western. And now, you know, the kids are deprived. They don't get a chance to see it. There are great ones like Yellowstone. Kevin's Yellowstone's terrific. Yeah. And, um, you know, Godless was great. And, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, they haven't really had anything, you know. I just wish someone would, you know, I'm trying. I'm always trying to get Western done. But it's, a, it's an uphill battle. And uh, I just, you know, getting the financing for a Western and being able to tell that story. Um, I mean, Hostels was brilliant and didn't get the proper amount of distribution, so very few people saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Able to go to Manila and do uh, In the Eye of the Storm. Yeah, that would be fun. That would be fun. That would be a cute movie. Uh, All right, Joe, I let rush off. It's not as moments go for me. You know, when you play real-life characters who are real in history, then the more of development that you do, um, that you can talk to the relatives, find out what he actually did, those are really fun characters. Don't you think that, Logan, to play characters that were around in real life, and it doesn't matter if they were. I I think I played John Dewar just three times, you know? I mean, it doesn't matter. It's always interesting. And, you know, Woody Harrelson... Yeah. Yeah. And Woody Harrelson and Kevin Costner just did the real story. I think of Frank Heyman, who actually, you know, called Bonnie and Clyde. And the character was overlooked in Arthur Ken's... You know, they made his character look like a fool. And yet he was brought out of retirement by J. Hoover to find an arrest by Clyde. Yep. And it was. It's the story of a real story. And uh, and it, it's fascinating because he had a ghost. Did he set them up? Did he set them up like the Warren Beatty movie suggested that he set them up for that slaughter? Where the cops stopped and they just slaughtered him in crossfire? Well, I don't know. That's what this Netflix movie is about with Kevin and Woody. Uh, <laughs> real story of what happened and what how they were literally um, killed because they, you know one being in Faye Dunaway they portrayed them as romantic heroes but these people right. were, were vermin oh, yeah, they were, yeah. they were yeah, vermin absolutely. just like to me I, I just finished watching a very interesting piece um, which was uh, on Netflix called The Last Kingdom and it was by the people who the Viking story and it was done by the people who did Benton Abbey. And um, it's brilliant. Last two nights I've been watching four hours of night call. And now <laughs> and it's on season two. I'm just watching season one. But it's, it's so well done about Vikings. And I used to love Vikings. And, and it was all very exciting, as I told you about the Brian Baru project. Well, the Vikings were vermin. They were just barbaric waste. And we all have a... We, you know, the kids, you have a, you have a romance with Vikings. Like, yeah, oh, man, oh, yeah. <laughs> the kids, you think it's really cool to be Kirk Douglas and Ernie Bordine and wheel the broadswords and, oh, God, you know, and the English were such lame. And here we were fighting. But these were 
barbaric, horrible yeah. people that raped and plundered just for fun. Yeah. 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 And, and yet there was merit to some of it because they did become Christians. And we, put their, flag, and we put their flags on our pickup trucks. it's true (laughs) we have a real short memory (laughs) and uh, gentlemen sorry just real quick the name of our podcast is everything I learned from movies Um, if you could just share with us uh, perhaps some lessons you've learned over the years that you'd like to share with our listeners just as kind of a a last send off (laughs) yeah well for me I believe that um, if we're dealing with acting alone I remember doing Cagney and Lacey and spending more time trying to find movies, starred movies that I could do, where a quality show like Cagney and Lacey, that you could learn so much from being behind the camera. At that time, in my arrogant self and my the young actor who believed that you know, you're always going to work forever and make lots of money and be the star, <laughs> yeah. you yeah. never think that things are going to end. So I believe what I learned was how I, because I did it later on when I became somewhat more savvy, I would, I would have paid attention more, and the advice from right. these other actors is to pay attention more to what goes on behind the camera and learn, if you're lucky enough to learn, be in an episodic show, you know, it doesn't matter if it's seven episodes or 17 or 700 is really learn about directing, learn about what goes into it, because down the road, you may want to direct a feature, you may want to direct a miniseries, and the greatest, the greatest education you can get is if you're lucky enough to be in a TV series, and you know you can manipulate yourself around the set and get an vast amount of opportunity to do things where the average person couldn't because you're a regular as an actor. So you, you can learn about costumes, you can learn about lenses. I never did that until later on, and I was a fool because I just spent too much time trying to be a movie star when I was a kid, you know, on the phone doing things that I should have been on the set. Right, exactly. You know, I should have been watching up everything. You know, and... Talking to the guys, talking to the crew, learning yeah. from them. I know. Exactly, exactly. And I, I do more of that now, you know, I I, I do more of that now than, than ever. Absolutely. It's, it's invaluable because you don't ever want to entrust your passion. It's so hard to get a, a script made. And if there's something I learned, even it, through all my years of being a detective, an actor, and everything else, my mom said to me, all and all your life, if you do this, it'll change your life. Think, you think of the phrase, consider the source. No matter what you're doing or who you're talking to or who's giving you their opinion, just stop and say to yourself, consider the source. Yeah, it just it just qualifies everything. You know, who's telling me this? Yeah, it makes sense. Oh. All right. And my detective agency, by the way, my detective agency is Global Pursuit Investigation. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, we'll have the uh, link on the website and everything as well, as well as for uh, Marty's Cobra Co. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, thank you again for joining us. Um, and everybody listening, definitely, you know, obviously check out Cobra Kai. 
keep excited for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, of course. Uh, but yeah, definitely check out Marty's Cobra Cove. Let's try to get over this this op- opioid addiction thing we've got going on around here. All right, man. <laughs> thank you. All right, thank All you right, very thank- much. And, uh, right. We look forward to you know, chatting with you again. Yeah, likewise. Thank you, gentlemen. It's It's been a pleasure, and uh, we'll keep in touch. All right. Have a good night, gentlemen. So, yeah, that was uh, Logan Clark and uh, Mr. Martin Cove, uh, some of the coolest guys you'd ever hope to meet. Uh, yeah, definitely check out uh, Marty's Cobra Cove. It sounds like it's a really great blend to uh, help with pain relief. It doesn't use uh, opioids and want to help with that as best, you know, we can get the word out there. Also, yeah, check out Cobra Kai. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's coming out, and you know what? I think I'm gonna go watch Still Justice like right now. I, I'm I'm curious now that I know that it exists. Probably Cagney and Lacey and Rockford Files too. I mean, <laughs> how could you go wrong, right? Uh, but yeah, gentlemen, thank you again for joining us, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep in touch. For anyone listening, uh, definitely feel free to uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, of course, we have our Etsy shop at untidyvenus.etsy.com, where my wife Izzy uh, does all of her wonderful wares. We got a lot of new stuff popping up every day. And yeah, I think right now we're in the middle of Animal Horror Month, which is awesome. And then coming up in September, super sexy sequel September. But yeah, until next time, I'm Steve, and this is everything I learned from movies. Have a good night, everybody. Try and you succeed Never doubt that you're the one